0: subway sports talk dan 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 clear of the closing doors please
1: all
0: right here we go subway sports talk my name is peter kennedy and i am your host thank you so much as always for tuning in to sst Apple Podcast app, Spotify. Clearly, you're hearing me say those words, so you found me. But we're everywhere you listen to podcasts and with me today to talk basketball, football, and all things that we do on this show. You'll also catch him on the WFAN airwaves during Thanksgiving weekend, not once, but twice. And
1: that's my guy, Pat Boyle. What's up, brother? Happy Thanksgiving week. Katie, happy Thanksgiving to you, man. Thanks for the shout there. I can't wait. One of the best weeks in sports, all the football, all the food. I cannot wait to watch it all. Can't wait to break it all down here with you as well. So let's get rolling.
0: I think one super quick thing we have to touch base on. What is your prime setup? So I don't know what time your family may eat dinner on Thanksgiving, uh, but like say now you had dinner already, you're watching football. You're on the couch, perhaps. You got a dessert and a beverage next to you. What do you got? What are you working with here, Patty?
1: Oh, I'm probably going to be working with after dinner. Got to have a little espresso with some Mm. black sambuca. Mm. For dessert, I'm crushing pumpkin pie and a scoop of mint ice cream, mint chocolate chip. That's the go-to. Pumpkin pie. My aunt makes a phenomenal pumpkin pie. And then after that, probably probably just drinking some water to help digest Mm. all the food. I'm not a, like, I don't love to drink a ton of alcohol usually on like Thanksgiving dinner just because it's already, I'm already having enough carbs right. as it is. Plus this year, I got to do a show after all the football on the fans, So I'm definitely going to just be slugging a, a ton of waters. It's
0: just espresso and water. It's a great combination. It's, it's really <laughs> <laughs> get locked in for some Bill Saints action and it's going to be great. I'm kind of there with you. I like a little post dinner, maybe a little bourbon action. With my espresso and water. So the bourbon espresso water. Very full tummy with liquids and food. Uh, But what a wonderful day. Football, the whole nine. You watch it. You get to talk about football instead of any other stuff with your fan that you maybe don't want to talk about. And it's great. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Another beautiful thing, though, Pat. Before we get into our run of the the show here, we're going to talk about the Knicks who just defeated the Lakers on primetime television. We're going to touch a a quick snippet on the Brooklyn Nets who are now back on top of the Eastern Conference standings. Uh, and we're also going to talk New York Giants, obviously some big news out of the Giants camp uh, this week or you know, specifically on Tuesday with Jason Garrett being fired. We're going to touch on that. All three Thanksgiving games as well as a preview for uh, for Sunday as well. But first, we have an announcement here on Subway Sports Talk. I teased it last week, and now it's officially time to tell you guys I'm very, very excited about our new partnership we got here on Subway Sports Talk. It's not changing anything on your end. If anything, it's just going to add to the ways you guys can consume this content. And that is our affiliation with the Basketball Podcast Network. The Basketball Podcast Network is amongst a larger company called the Maze Media Labs. It doesn't matter to you, but I like telling you guys what's going on. They also have the Hockey Podcast Network. You can check that out. And the Pigskin Podcast Network. And don't worry, Because we are a part of the Basketball Podcast Network, doesn't mean we're not talking football. We're still doing that. We're still talking baseball when the time is right. But the Basketball Podcast Network are our partners in this uh, endeavor, and they'll be supporting us, and hopefully we'll be supporting them. So check them out. And that also brings us to one more thing, Pat. It brings us to our sponsorship here with DraftKings. So let me tell you that this NHL season, since it's been underway, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets. If either team simply scores a goal, doesn't matter if it's a beautiful one-timer, a lucky deflection. As long as they light the lamp, you win. And if Sportsbook isn't available in your state, DraftKings still got you covered. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Basketball, Football, UFC, whatever you want to play, DraftKings got you covered. DraftKings is also giving new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo T promo code TBPN. TBPN. Throw down one dollar on any NHL game and win a hundred in free bets if either team just simply scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you. A big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older. Present in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum minimum of $5 deposit and $1 wager require One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So there you go. DraftKings Sportsbook. Helping out Subway Sports Talk. Helping out the basketball podcast network. And now it's time to get into it. Pat. Had
1: that had that feel, Pete, by the way. That was your first read. That was pretty crisp.
0: Yeah, it's a you know, it could have been a little bit crisper, but that's number one. You know, this is a one-take show, too. You know, a lot of people with their podcast, they get really uh in the nitty-gritty with the editing. They want things to sound crispy clear. No ends, ifs, or buts about it. I, that's not how I like to roll. I like to keep it natural. I like to keep it one take as much as humanly possible, which I must say you and I do pretty much 99% of the time.
1: I would say 99.99% of the time. I don't think we've had to restart or stop or pause more than once in the last 15 episodes we've done. And that was literally this episode because the audio was off, Right, the levels were off at the beginning of this. That was it.
0: Yeah. And that's the only really, the only real reason we would ever do it is if the audio is messed up or if my dog starts like yelling or something crazy happens and then maybe we'll stop. Yeah. If Shay starts getting a little weird out here, Uh, but no, we're, we're radio guys too, right? A Live radio. You're going to be on the fan uh, twice and over the next handful of days here, you can't pause and restart, right? You can't say, all right, I kind of messed that one up. Can we run that back? Listeners in their car be like, who is Who the hell is this guy? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> well i can dump it but that's only 10 seconds so that, that's the only that's the only fast forwarding you can do and that's only usually if you curse
0: right which hopefully you haven't done that yet have you had to dump yourself ever
1: no although when i was on so the second show i'm doing this week is actually cbs sports radio mm. so the first one's Fan, second is cbs sports radio which is national and i was working on the morning show uh da show uh, the other day and they do a thing called trash tuesday mm-hmm And you basically trash something you're pissed off about. And I trashed my balls because they were stuck (laughs) to my leg all morning. And uh, afterwards, they were like, yeah, hopefully the FCC doesn't uh, come knocking after that. So they're like, you probably should have dumped yourself. And I was like, "Ah, well, look, I thought it was funny.
0: Hey, you know what? A couple of ha-has. You're just the right FCC person listens. If he gives a little smirk, a little chuckle, then he can't come at you, right?
1: Come on. Hey, he's got he's got the uh, he's got the nuclear missile button ready to launch, and he goes, <laughs> "Ah, I'll let him slide."
0: <laughs> yeah, it's Thanksgiving week. All right, come on. And that's Damon Amendola. How's he, how's it working with him? He's a cool guy. I've seen him in. Uh, he is cool. In the hallways before.
1: He's yeah, he's very cool. He looks, dude. He literally looks like he could be Christian Yelich's twin brother. That's how scary the resemblance is. But, no, he's cool. He's fun.
0: Glad to hear it. So, yeah, check out Patty Boyle, WFAN. Check him out on CBS Sports Radio over the Thanksgiving weekend. But also check out the rest of this Subway Sports Talk episode. Let's get into it. We're going to talk Knicks-Lakers because they just beat them. The Nets for a hot second before we get into the Giants and the rest of the football slate for this upcoming week. So, Pat, the Knicks stay undefeated on primetime television, which is a beautiful thing. But something still fishy about this team, something not – Uh, as fluid as you would like them to be. It's just a little clunky on offense. We talked about it the last time we were on the podcast, even though they got out to this wonderful lead against the Lakers in the first half, the third quarter woes continue. So I don't want to spend our our main focus here on the uh, specific clunkiness of offense or the starters versus the bench, and maybe it comes into play as we get into the conversation. But I want to ask you your opinion on this third quarter thing specifically because it it's gotten ugly here in third quarters over and over and over again for the New York Knicks. So when you're watching a team like this and you see this happen over and over again, what do you attribute it to? What do you think is the root cause? And again, it could be one of those other items I mentioned, but what's the root cause of a team consistently just not showing up coming out of halftime?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just, I think a lot of it just comes down to effort and mental lapses. I mean, again, they came out of the, they came out of the gate. They were blowing the lakes, the lakes. They were blowing the Lakers out of the Garden. They up, they were up by twenty five points in the first half, and it looked like this game was going to be a game of three quarters and see you later. Thanks for coming. Have a nice night. I feel bad for all the people that bought tickets at like probably extravagant prices a couple of weeks ago, expecting to see LeBron play against the Knicks. And lo and behold, a game before that's supposed to happen. He punches Isaiah Stewart in the face and that <laughs> massive brawl and he gets suspended. So <laughs> shout out to those people. Um, but yeah, like they came out of the gate, blown them out. everything was clicking. And then the third quarter, they come out of the halftime and it, it, it looked as if, they went into the locker room at half and just decided to take a little nap. And they were like, oh, yeah, cruise control. This game's over. You know, the no, no LeBron. But you can't do that in today's NBA. I mean, routinely we see teams blow double-digit leads. I, I, they put up a perfect graphic on TNT. The Lakers had five double-digit comebacks and six double-digit blown leads this year. And the Knicks had three double-digit comebacks, four double-digit leads blown. So, like, it's, like, routine at this point. Like, you can build up a great lead, and it means nothing if you fall asleep for five, six minutes, which is exactly what the Knicks did. And I think the Lakers switched to a 2-3 zone to start the third quarter, and you'd think, okay, just get good ball movement. Tibbs preaches that all the time. Just make the right pass, and the game will dictate itself who gets to take the shot, who's going to score the point, who's going to get the bucket. And the Knicks just failed to do that. They started just forcing things. They were rushing it into the paint. They were turning the ball over. It, it seems like all like when things go bad for the Knicks, it's all at once. Kemba couldn't hit a shot. Randall gets caught in that isolation where he basically just wastes 15 seconds of the shot clock and then either chucks up a shot or to tries to make a pass and then expects Barrett to shoot one with like two seconds left contested, or 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 R.J. can't make a shot from deep either. And it it all seems to happen at the perfect time that in the sense that they literally just stopped hustling. Like they just stopped. Like the effort was dog shit in the third quarter. They were not getting back in transition. Westbrook was just killing them on the fast break, taking open threes. And I get it. Look, you're, you're going to back off on Russ. Most of the time I've slandered him numerous times here in the last year, he can't make a three, but when he gets hot, he's still, again, still a, a decent shooter, that can get very streaky. And that's exactly what he did. 18 points in that third quarter. And the Knicks had a 25-point lead evaporate before their very own eyes, before Tibbs probably laid into them and said, hey, wake the hell up here. Let's get it going again. And I know Tibbs isn't not yelling, isn't not screaming, isn't not coaching when the Knicks have big leads. So it comes down to the leadership. It comes down to Randall. It comes down to Rose. I know he didn't play tonight, but on most nights, those are your leaders. And those guys have to be the one that are setting the tone, keeping the energy high for 48 minutes. Like the NBA schedule is not easy. I get it. There's going to be nights where you're tired, but you can't build a 25 point lead and blow it within the span of 12 minutes, man. It's just unacceptable.
0: Yeah, and I want to talk about two things specifically uh, in a second. It's just crazy, though. Those stats you just uh, rattled off about the Lakers and Knicks alike in their you know, comeback from big deficits, also blow big deficits. It's a really weird time, but it's something we've seen grow more and more in this league with the three-point shooting and that efficiency overall, like over the course of games and co- course of seasons, the efficiency is higher with the three-point shot being more involved. But moment-to-moment, it can be more inefficient, right? It's more volatile, and that's what happens here sometimes, where it can just get really ugly. If no shots are falling, games can flip instantly. The Lakers had their run, unfortunately, they kind of ran out of gas. or fortunately for the Knicks, they ran out of gas and couldn't complete the comeback. But I want to talk about R.J. Barrett and Randall. First off, with R.J. Barrett, you saw my tweet the other night, Pat. I know I, uh, you know, maybe it uh, hurt your sleep habit a little bit there on Saturday night, but I tweeted uh, two days ago now, or a couple days ago now, that. R.J. Barrett has played in 16 games this season, and seven of those games, he had more shots than points. Now he's played two more games, and one of those games, the same thing happened. He had 12 shots, nine points. So that's eight games in out of 18 where he's had more shots than points, and that's just not a good third year of somebody who was expected by many, not by most, but by some to many, to be an all star caliber player this year, he has not come out of the gates like that. The one thing you have to appreciate, he keeps grinding on defense, helping out the team in other ways, but the scoring stuff for RJ is really, really ugly. What has been the root to that? Is it simply his shot not falling, or is there anything else you can point to?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, and, and again, you got to give RJ some credit because in the beginning of the season, he had a monster stretch where Randall wasn't scoring and I'm trying to pull it up now because I want to see when it started and when it kind of ended. I believe it started at the end of October. Yeah. It was a 20 game, that 20 point win 20 point scoring game on the road to beat the Chicago bulls. Then he puts up 35 against new Orleans next night, then puts up 27, 23 and 20. And he was, he was attacking the basket first and foremost, and teams had to respect that. So then they were giving him some space because obviously you don't want him to blow past you because he's so strong. He's so fast and he's such a great finisher at the rim. And then he was, you know, he was taking the space that was given and he was pulling up and hitting the 14 the 15 footers, you know, taking his threes efficiently, only taking like four or five threes a game and hitting two or three of them. And then he just started getting really, really sloppy when teams found out how to defend him. When you can get a double team on RJ, as he enters the paint, he kind of panics and, and you couple that then if he, if he's not shooting the ball, well, he is a very, very streaky shooter. And if he starts a game missing like his first four or five shots, it just seems like he's going to just continue to snowball and lose confidence in himself over the course of the 48 minutes of the game. Cause after that stretch, these were his next four games, six points, 15, nine and two. Mm. And he has just not shot the basketball well at all lately in the last month or so now. And is just, you know, when it, Plain and simple, his jump shot's just not there yet. The consistency isn't good in terms of his mechanics or his form to the point where, you know, you can just rely on him that he'll figure it out over the course of a game. And I don't know if it's more mental with him, or again, it's just the fact that his mechanics are not there yet, but he just hasn't shot the ball well. I mean, yeah. that's as plain, That's as simple as it can get. When teams double-team him when he gets in the paint he, and force him to beat them solely on mid-range and 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 three-point jumpers, he can't do it.
0: Another number to go with what you just stated there, and he had a slightly better game tonight only on eight shots. But since that 20-point game back on November 5th where he had 20 against the Milwaukee Bucks, he hasn't logged a game where he shot 40% or higher from the field. And I'm not talking from three. From regular field goal, he was below 40 in every single game until this win over the Lakers where he was 4-for-8. So the shooting's been a struggle. It's not just the jump shooting. It's actually the inside stuff as well. So he needs to figure out a way to get that right. I think part of it has to do with the spacing in general, and I think that has to do with the next guy I want to talk about quickly, and that's Julius Randle. Now, I promise we will end the Knicks conversation on a bit of a positive because there is still some positives to gain here. With all these negatives, they are 10-8, and and they are in the thick of it with, with room to improve. But Julius Randle, I know he's been a frustration point for you, Pat, with how he's been operating on offense, hasn't been pretty, hasn't been hitting those difficult shots he hit so consistently last year, and hasn't really been you know, creating as consistently, perhaps, as he was last year either, or as as he was really early in the year, when almost every single game for the first 10 of the year, he was the leader in assist for the game. That's kind of trickled down a little bit. He hasn't been facilitating as much. His shot's not falling quite the same way. What's the, the pressure point for Julius Randle, what's holding him back from staying at that elite level he was at last year.
1: Well, I, I think it's twofold. One, he's putting way too much pressure on himself. And two, teams are obviously giving him the respect that he deserves and warrants on a night in, night out basis. He's being guarded by the team's best defender every single time he has the ball, where 90% of the time he has the ball. And again, I think he's just he's overthinking. Last year it was so simple for him, along with the thinking of Thibodeau, which I talked about before, where hey, to make the right pass and the guy, somebody's gonna be open right? Like you, like you can't have five guys completely guarding five guys at all times. And if you have a zone, it's very easy as long as you just pass around and beat it this year. I said it, I, I just, I can't watch Randall go in isolation, not use any of the bevy of moves that he has in his arsenal to get to the bucket. It's almost just, all right, I'm just going to stand here, dribble. Maybe you use a couple crossovers, try to beat you not work. And then either just pull up with an, with a contested long, like 18 foot jump shot or I'm gonna pass it off like at the last second and 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 hope that somebody can make a shot rather than using good ball good ball movement and a string of passes. And there's also like I've seen numerous times in the last two weeks, he gets up, he rises to shoot and passes while in midair. I rarely saw that from him last year, which I think just speaks to how hesitant he's being, how much he's overthinking the offense and how much pressure he's putting on himself. He just needs to relax. He needs to calm down. And you know, when Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier, Fournier shot the ball tremendously well on Tuesday night, but when Fournier and Walker aren't shooting the ball well, for the most part, like they have this season, that doesn't help either because you can't rely on then your dangerous shooters to open up the space for you because they're also being tightly contested.
0: Yeah, I agree across the board. And, uh, The jump pass thing is something that seemingly only Derrick Rose has mastered. No one else should really be trying those types of passes consistently, at least. Derrick Rose somehow pulls it off. Missing him also hurts. He's out right now. Shouldn't be too long, though. Uh, Need him back in the lineup. Somebody who is in the lineup, who's been huge for this team off the bench pretty much all season, but more specifically, over the past week or so, it's Emmanuel quickly. We knew he was going to be an energy guy. We knew what he can do off the bench with the shooting and getting hot from deep but right now he seems to be one of those guys who's not just looked at as a microwave but somebody who is a necessity to hit shots every single night how has he handled that role in your opinion uh with the you know the last handful of games uh pat he's been he's been really killing it he's been shooting the ball great from 3 over the last 6 games he's 4 for 4 2 for 4 2 for 4 one bad one against the bulls 1 for 8 and then 4 for 8 against the lakers last night it, it's a great stretch for him and a neces a necessary role that he needs to fill
1: yeah absolutely and I love quickly and you know I uh I very aggressively said that he was a prime contender for rookie of the year last year I really didn't expect LaMelo Ball to obviously uh, have the tremendous season that he had um and carry it into this year as well so I mean LaMelo has been a stud so there's no doubting that but uh, you know, at times last year quickly was just a microwave. He was hot or kind of nothing. Um, but when he uses that floater to, to use the dribble drive and, and get and beat guys and then use the floater. And then and also when you respect that, the ability to kind of hit threes at will sometimes makes him such a dangerous scoring uh, weapon off the bench for the Knicks. But uh, again, you know, even then I would like to see more out of him. He had 14 points tonight. I'm pretty sure 12 of them came in the fourth quarter or to, uh, the majority of those points came in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, it seemed like he had, I know he had three threes in the fourth. So again, he did m- the majority of the scoring in bunches. You know, I, I would really love to kind of see him be a factor in the scoring at all times of a game. You know, a guy that can be maybe a six man of the year, like contender in the next like two, three years. I think he's that dangerous. Um, and I think he's that good. You know, I just, I, I think across the board, the expectations for this Knicks team uh, needs to take a step up because they're sitting here now at 10 and eight through 18 games. And I just don't think that they're on par with where we thought they would be so far this season. Um, And I know it's, it's, I know it's a little bit better than it was last week. um, But I mean, let's be honest, beating a struggling Lakers team that hasn't gelled yet at all this season with no LeBron. To me, that was a result that they had to have tonight or that you would expect them to have not like, Oh wow, they beat the Lakers even though they blew a 25 point lead.
0: Yeah, I I agree. It's a a game they're supposed to win. They were favored by four and a half points. And that's the thing we saw them do all year. Last year is beat the teams. They were supposed to beat when they started getting favored halfway through the year, they started winning games and that's something they need to continue to do now because they had a tough stretch. I mean, you look at the stretch that they started off with here. You know, they had the rockets, which was an, Supposed to be an easy win. It wasn't so easy. Then they lose to the Bulls. They only competed. They almost came back there, but whatever. Now they have Phoenix, Atlanta, Brooklyn, Chicago, Denver coming up. So they beat the Lakers. That's a big one. They got lucky with LeBron suspension. Not an easy schedule coming up um, for the Knicks. They do get San Antonio, Indiana, and Toronto after that. So it lightens up a touch. But then you get right back to Milwaukee and Golden State. So there's really no nights off in the NBA this year. This team didn't take nights off last year. They need to make sure they continue not to. Uh, but let's move on to the Lakers super-duper quick because, again, I think the Knicks have some struggles right now, some worry, but overall, they're two games above 500. they They're playing probably below their capability, so that's something to look forward to if they can start getting right. On the Lakers front, I have a simple question to ask you, Pat, because you had a take before the season where you thought they might land. Let me tell you this. They are 5-3 and three with LeBron on the court. They are 4-6 and with LeBron off the court. Small sample sizes in both. Can we assess this team until LeBron's played 20-25 games? Or do you think that there's actual serious things to be worried about for the Lakers?
1: I think right now there's some serious things to be worried about. That being said, it is early and we know that for a team that has LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook, those are guys that have a world, you, you know, for the most part, unmatched experience in the postseason. And we know that they are going to be a tough out in the postseason this year. I think everybody underestimated the Phoenix Suns and how dangerous they turned out to be getting all the way to the NBA finals. So when they lost to Phoenix in the first round, I was like, wow, that is brutal. Doesn't look that bad. Now, that being said, I'll never understand franchises like the Lakers or the Yankees going cheap. And not re signing guys that had such an integral part in your team and the way that you want your team's blueprint to be. I think letting Alex Caruso walk to Chicago is the biggest mistake they made this offseason. The Bus family didn't like, were refusing to give him the money he deserved. They wanted him to take a discount. He said, screw that, deservedly so, rightly so. I think they're missing him. And I think the players that they've brought in to kind of use to gel uh mellow started the season great shooting from three he's been a little bit shaky since but you know guys like malik monk uh horton tucker who's still only 20 years old and, and was hurt a little bit this year he's wildly inconsistent still at times this season and then like deandre jordan and you know Bazemore. i know kendrick nunn has been hurt as well but like this is almost a, an entirely new roster outside of those outside of lebron and ad so it's going to take time for them to gel. It's going to take time for them to find the rotations that work. And also too, when you have, you know, in the load managing era, where how often are we going to see LeBron AD and Russ play on the same night? Maybe if we're lucky, maybe 35 games this year. So again, you know, I, I hate, I hate kind of owning up to the reality, but this is it for the Lakers. It really doesn't matter how they look until we get to March and you know, ultimately, though, if they get a five seed or a six seed this year, you know, that could ultimately hurt them. That could be what kills them if they hurt have to last play a game. Year. Yeah, it did. If they have to play a game seven on the road in Phoenix, if they have to play a game seven on the road against, you know, the big teams in the West, like that could ultimately hurt them, even though they arguably do have two of the best six players on the planet and three of the best 20 players on the planet. Um, you know, you know how I feel that, that Russ isn't a top 10 player in the NBA anymore. Yeah. But, I don't think
0: anyone feels that right now. Right.
1: Nah, I I mean, there, no, I mean, there's some, there's some
0: folks out there who will be standing forever and ever, but yeah, now nah, most of us, you know, realistic people out here, we know, yeah, we so know to, it's good.
1: So to, so to summarize that answer again, there are problems that they have to work out quickly, uh, you know, sooner rather than later. But again, I'm still confident that if this Lakers team gets to the postseason healthy, they're a threat to win the NBA title.
0: And I would just add from a big-picture perspective, because overall, I'm not worried, right? Like you just said, you just outlined it with LeBron back. They've been good. He should be fine. He's only missed the game against the Knicks because of suspension, not because of injury, right? So that's fine. I'm not worried about it. What I'm worried about big-picture-wise is what you started to outline there. All these new pieces, they seemingly swapped consistent effort defensive guys in KCP, Kuzma, and Caruso for these more hit or miss wing offensive style players. Now, if you want to argue Bazemore can play some D yeah, he's not the defensive player that Kuzma or KCP or Caruso are. So he's all right, whatever. I don't think Bazemore is a, a real needle mover Malik monk. You know, he's an offensive player hit or miss, you know, he's a little bit of a microwave himself. He can't really play defense. Kendrick Nunn, Same story. Avery badly. How many games do you expect to get out of him? So I'm not, Worried as much about LeBron, AD, and Russell Westbrook. We have to give them time to see what happens. I am kind of worried about their wing and defensive depth because that's what made this Lakers team so damn good over the past couple seasons. When they made that incredible run through the bubble, their defense was absolutely elite that entire year. So I think that's something that people aren't thinking of that you have to. Right. It doesn't show up every single night or you don't notice it every single night unless you're watching very closely or you watch what Caruso does for that defensive unit in Chicago or the same thing for Kuzma and KCP in Washington. Those are competent NBA players who can shoot the ball and play their ass off on defense. That's what they're missing the most out of uh, this new team, obviously, plus LeBron being injured. So not worried, but definitely have to monitor to see how they can get better over time. Now, last but not least, on the basketball front, because we got to get to f- some football talk here. The Brooklyn Nets are back on top of the Eastern standings. They're 13 and five. They've won eight out of ten, and they're seemingly fine. They're, they've they've been kind of crushing teams a little bit here and there. Uh, won a couple tight ones recently as well. Maybe that shouldn't have been so tight. But there was some worry early about their team. There was a lot of worry early about James Harden. Are the, all those worries gone and we're back to expecting the Nets to be a world beater in this NBA right now? Uh, because I personally was never worried about James Harden. I don't know where you actually landed on that. So where do you feel about the Nets a couple weeks ago? And where do you feel about them now?
1: Yeah, no, I was I was in the same uh, you know, same lane with you on Harden. like I was getting some people were like trying to crush me on Twitter. They're like, Are you kidding me? He's been so he's been so ass this like start. I'm like, dude, people, it's like six. People want to hate him had-
0: so much. It's crazy to me.
1: I was like dude, we're like six games in the guy had a has a hamstring like that he's still working get to get back to 100 percent. and he was at the club all summer long with old baby like get... <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Granted, true. like the early, the early like literally the first six, seven games it was it was warranted but that like come on, like over such a long season, like James Harden is one of the best scores this sport has ever seen. and the way he was playing running the point last year at times for this team. It was just unbelievable. And, again, he's getting back to that. I mean, how many double-digit assist games has he had this month? I'm, I'm looking at it now. In the month of November, in seven – in 11 games, six of them, he's got double-digit assists. So, like, he's getting it done. He's setting up KD for those easy shots. He's getting the ball to Patty Mills, who I was shitting on in the beginning of the year – Patty Mills can't miss from three now he's mm-hmm. been unbelievable for them shooting the basketball he's been such a great scoring piece for them to take the load off of Harden and Durant um, and Harden's going to be fine yeah. like, Harden's going to be fine KD's going to be fine and again the Nets have showed you I think in the last couple of weeks an extra layer of toughness that I don't think they had um, last season. And prime example, KD doesn't play against the Magic. They're down, what, 20 points in the third quarter? They come back and win that game? That's a game they lose last year. So, for me, the Nets are just fine, um, even without Kyrie. And that's that's, what we all thought before the season. And that's the thing. If they get Kyrie, I don't think their flow is going to be ruined. I I think it's just going to be icing on the cake. I mean, that's going to be the number one question. Does Kyrie Irving get his ass vaccinated and on the basketball floor? Because – That they'll want to, they'll get to the NBA finals if he does.
0: Yeah, I almost try not to think about Kyrie until we hear any actual updates on him, any concrete news on Kyrie. I try not to even think about him. Another note on James Harden though, the free throws were such a big point of contention. His first six games of the year, four, four, one, three, three free throws. Then he had that crazy nineteen free throw game. Then back to three, one, four, six, three. 5. That's not good. That's not James Harden, right? But what I said on my TikTok/reel slash reel, uh, a handful of weeks back now, it was right after the 19 free throw game. I was like, "Do you really think he's not going to be a great basketball player again?" Of course he's going to be great. He's going to be just fine. He's going to get back up to 20 points over uh, a game, which he's now up to 21 and climbing. He's now up to 7 free throws a game already pat because the last 6 are 15, 5, 11, 12, 20 and 4 attempts. The, the calls were going to come around. He was going to, he's too smart. He's too good to not figure out how to do what he needed to do on the basketball court. And you already outlined the assist. He's an incredible passer, incredible setup man for his teammates. And when you got the shooters that they got in Brooklyn and KD playing like the best player in the league or the second best player in the league, if you want to argue Giannis, they're just fine. And I'm happy they're back on top. Knicks fans. And you know, you and I are both Knicks fans. 100%. I freaking love the Knicks. I know you do too. But there's something about Knicks fans and the Nets where I don't know, and this probably makes some people mad. I don't really care where they're so bitter that the Nets have what the Knicks were supposed to get for 10 years, right? The Knicks were always supposed to be the free agency destiny for all or destination for all these big time stars. And we got nobody. And when we got somebody, they got hurt or were past their prime. The Nets got what the Knicks wanted and also built a really competent team around those stars. It's a good franchise. They pull the right strings. They make the right moves. And I think Knicks fans have this really weird um, complex where they can't accept it. They have to put them down and they can't just admit like, hey, that team is good. Kevin Durant is incredibly fun to watch play basketball. I don't understand why there's so much vitriol against the Brooklyn Nets and their lack of fans. Like a Kn- every time, you know, you say you hear about a Nets uh, stadium getting a chant for Steph Curry or some opposing player, Knicks fans run to Twitter, "Oh, that would never happen in the Garden. There's no fans in Brooklyn. You're not in our w- corner." I'm just w- like, that was that up. wasn't
1: that was embarrassing, though. Of course it's
0: embarrassing. That happens to Steph Curry in 75% of arenas in this in the country. It's not unique to Brooklyn. It's unique (laughs) to to Brooklyn against the Knicks stadium against Madden Square Garden, but it's not unique. I mean, I just don't get why Knicks fans run to be like, Oh, the Knicks fans are so much better than the Nets fans. No shit. We've been relevant for years without even being good at basketball. People love the Knicks. We should love the Knicks. I don't think that means we should just constantly push down the Nets. It just, it just annoys me a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Push back on me. Push back. You want to. I can feel it.
1: No, but, that, but that's what That's what happens when you're expecting to land Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and then they just go to the next borough where you knew, like, I, I don't know, unless there was a real hatred for James Dolan, which that very well could have been the defining reason, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving would have been superstars beyond belief if they're playing in the garden. And we, I know they know that they like, we all know that they knew that, that if they played for the New York Knicks, their superstardom, which is about as high as it can be in the NBA would reach a new level of like a list celebrities. Like if you're playing, if you're leading the New York Knicks to an NBA finals, you are an A-list celebrity in almost every corner of the world. So that's why it is so frustrating to be like, why would you, why would you go there? I would you go to Brooklyn and the nets who like, it also pissed me off from a Nets standpoint too, because they had built such a great culture with Kenny Atkinson and guys who right. just played really hard and like they overachieve and then they just, they strip it all down. That's like, all right, yeah. Kevin and Kevin and Kyrie come, we'll like rebuild the roster. However you guys want it. We'll fire the coach. We'll let you guys do whatever the hell you want. So that's also the reason, too, it pissed me off. Not even as a Knicks fan, just, like, in general. Like, wanting to see the Nets achieve until they just, like, stripped it all down just to get Kevin and Kyrie and then Harden.
0: Well, I'm happy for my boy Spencer Dinwiddie back on the court in Washington playing pretty good basketball over there. Yeah, I feel you, though. I get it. I'm probably being too much on the other side, right? Like, in all all things where you have these debates, it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, but I just get, that's one of Pete's peeves. That's one of my peeves right there. But what, what are you going to do? Let's talk about football, Pat. Why, why not, right? Subway sports talk. Pete Kennedy, Pat Boyle, it's time to talk about the New York Giants. Let's, let's keep on this frustrated path here, Pat. Despite, though, there's one thing to not be frustrated about. Everybody knows what it is. It's Jason Garrett is gone. It's something that everybody's been waiting for since the day he was hired. It's official. But with this great accomplishment for Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge and the Mara family, of firing Jason Garrett, you know, comes up a a not so pleasant surprise that Freddie Kitchens will be the new play caller and offensive coordinator for the giants. That makes people nervous. There's probably a way to devil's advocate that, and we'll get into it. But first and foremost, Pat, you know, did you expect this to happen after Monday night? First of all, and second of all, how happy are you to not have to watch a Jason Garrett led offense anymore?
1: Pete, I expected this to happen after the end of last season, and I said, what the hell are they doing bringing back Jason Garrett, watching his vanilla play calling, his propensity to vomit on himself as a play caller once the Giants get to the red zone. They've been historically one of the worst red zone offenses in the NFL over the last two years, scoring a touchdown on literally less than half of the red zone trips they get to. And yes, I'm I'm over the moon. I'm ecstatic because as bad of a head coach Freddie Kitchens was when he took over Cleveland. This guy is a great offensive mind. And he's a hell of an offensive coordinator. And I'm guaranteeing that this Giants offense hit their low point on Monday night. They're averaging 19 points per game right now. I guarantee you the rest of this season, the final eight games, they are going to average 24 points a game or more. And this Giants team is going to have a chance mathematically to make the playoffs with two weeks remaining in the season. I'm telling you, it is going to immediately look like an entirely different offense, one that has a competent play caller, one in which utilizes the team's strengths, one in which they get to the red zone and don't just shit themselves and say, ah, okay, we'll we'll settle for another field goal. Don't worry. We got Graham Gano. It's okay. We won't take any shots down the field. Fuck that. But last year, Freddie Kitchens, we saw some Freddie Kitchens play calling too for the Giants when they played the Browns on Sunday night football last season and Jones was hurt and it was Colt McCoy under center that game, the giants average pass attempts per yard through the air was 10 yards. So on average, every time McCoy dropped back to pass, he was throwing it to the sticks or more. And out of the 31 passes, he threw 15 of them went 10 plus yards down the air. So literally Freddie kitchen said, we're going to take shots down the field. And that was with lesser talent. And now you have Gallaudet, who's not getting the ball thrown nearly is not getting enough design play calls for him enough. Nearly, you're going to get more balls down the field for Kadarius Tony, you're going to hopefully get Saquon into the passing game, not just running the ball straight up the middle with an interior offensive line that sucks. And will Hernandez, I don't know how he has an NFL job. I don't know how the hell Nate Solder has an NFL job. Now you got me worked up, but it's okay because Freddie kitchens is going to take over and he's going to lead a renaissance of this offense. And at the end of the season, there will be no, no more doubts on who is your franchise quarterback because Daniel Jones is going to be allowed to flourish under this system. I'm telling you, it's going to be an immediate change. Can you, can you do me a favor? Can you give
0: me your best Charles Barkley guarantee impression?
1: I, I guarantee the new, the New York giants are going to be playing. Be playing with uh, playoffs at the end of the season.
0: That's not the that's not the exact guarantee style that I was expecting, but it still works. I'm talking yeah, wait, about when, me, wait, when he goes what, what guarantee
1: he when he when he uh, yells it
0: when he yeah. yells it. But I'll take I'll take the actual Charles Barkley impersonation. That was actually pretty
1: good. <laughs> you kind of just have to like. I feel like there's at times you know where he like forgets people's names and forgets like who's on the team. He just yep. kind of like mumbles words together mm-hmm. and, and so that it just works.
0: Terrible! It's terrible. That was not a terrible impersonation, though. Yeah, I I do agree with you, and I'm glad that you went down the Freddie Kitchens road because you witnessed it firsthand. Right? You were there when he took over play calling for Baker Mayfield, and the whole world switched and everything. Where you thought Baker Mayfield wasn't going to be your guy, and then everything changed, and he was your guy. Now, you know, a lot of other factors were Baker Mayfield with Stefanski. We're not going to get into that at this moment in time but there was had, a reason he got hired as a head coach. It wasn't because yes. he was a bad offensive coordinator now.
1: Yeah, no, no, not, not at all. And that was something too. Yeah. That I wanted to touch on He Like this is deja vu. Freddie Kitchens took over after the Browns cut bait with Hugh Jackson and the OC Todd um, Haley, Todd Haley in 2018 during which you had a rookie quarterback at Baker Mayfield. You had a rookie running back in Nick Chubb. You had an offensive line that was not nearly as good as it was now. And they started the year two, five, and one. They were bottom five in the NFL in offense. And the rest of the year, they averaged 24 points per game. They went five and three. Baker Mayfield set the record for most passing touchdowns in a season by a rookie quarterback. And Freddie Kitchens was given the keys to the city. He was given the keys to Cleveland. Now, not a good head coach. Not good when he's in charge of every single thing going on. But when you give this man the offense and say, let's be creative and let's use the strengths here of the offense and let's score points. Freddie Kitchens knows how to do it. Like we've seen it in action. We saw him take over and get and breathe life into an offense that was void of creativity. That was void of a guy who knew how to utilize the strengths of the team. I'm confident that Freddie Kitchens knows how to do that with this team. And I'm telling you, it is going to be day and night. When the Giants play the Eagles on Sunday, I'll be there. I'll be at MetLife wait, so I can wait, 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 tell everybody. Me too. You're going to the game? Yeah. No way. What's up, brother? Where you go? Let's go. Let's hang out. <laughs> Bro, we're going to have to get Subway Sports Talk instant reaction. We're going to have to link up.
0: I think we may have to. Uh, I, think I,
1: I think I'm swinging by the, the FanDuel Sportsbook beforehand too to see my boy. I see our boy Moose. Mark oh, Malusis.
0: absolutely. Tell Moose I said what's up. Uh, But. Tell tell him I'm a, a stone's throw away from the FanDuel sportsbook in the parking lot of MetLife. That's his favorite way to start any read. Um, but no, that that's <laughs> awesome.
1: <laughs>
0: that's a very inside radio uh, seg- uh line I just gave to you right there. But anyways, that is so and so inside that only like a few people probably even would know what we're talking about. But uh, let's get back on topic here. We'll we'll discuss our tailgating plans at a later moment in time. But Daniel Jones. It's been another year. And you said you didn't only I kind of got sidetracked that you gave us a lot of guarantees there, right? You guarantee that Freddie Kitchen's gonna change the outlook of the offense, in turn, gonna change the outlook of Daniel Jones as a franchise quarterback. Where I'm kind of sitting here, and if you saw my latest uh Instagram reel, TikTok, whatever, I'm here saying Daniel Jones is mediocre at best. What allowed Baker to be better? And what do you see allowing Daniel Jones to officially be better? Because right now. You look at those statistics of his, and yet again, we're sitting here where he's just not scoring points. He's not throwing touchdowns. He has nine right now on the season. So what is going to change? Do you have any sort of specifics that you can look to? Is it going to be a, uh, a heavy dose of Saquon that opens up the pass game? Is it going to be an actual utilization of Galladay, Tony, Engram, et cetera? What may happen here to help Daniel Jones out and uh, actually make him look like a guy who were excited about going into next season.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, Daniel Jones had the worst game of his career back on Monday night too. I mean, it's, it's important to understand that, you know, he made some really terrible decisions, the throw to McClendon. I, I, I couldn't tell you what the hell that was. It was brutal. It was, it was just absolutely terrible. Um, and you know, he overthrew a couple of balls. So I get, if you want to isolate just Monday, yeah, he was mediocre. And if you want to try to project that over the course of the rest of the season, yeah, he's not the quarterback of the future of the giants. That being said, I think it's important not to overreact considering he has had some really stellar performances this year. The 400 yards of offense on the road in the big easy against the Saints defense, not very easy to do at all. Um, And, you know, just specifically speaking, what they're going to do when you're throwing the ball, when you're well, first of all, I think everybody saw the the video from Dan Orlovsky in which the Giants had three receivers going across the middle literally running into each other. And Daniel Jones is sitting back there in a pocket that is collapsing because he gets barely any protection from the offensive line as it is. And he's probably seeing that and saying, what the fuck am I supposed to, (laughs) who am I supposed to throw this ball to? I got three guys running into each other.
0: Not only did they run into each other, but by the time that they ran into each other, he was also getting hit.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, look, and, and when you design an offense from Jason Garrett, that is, little out routes, little hitch routes, little bubble screens, like little throws over the middle against cover two, you can only do so much before teams just say, okay, you want to pick up like three, four yards? That's fine. You're not going to get it every time, plus your offensive line sucks, so we're going to get to you. You have to take shots down the field. Whether it's literally just sending Kenny Galladay on a fly route against cover two and having Jones throw it up, you have to take some shots because that opens up a defense. Because even then, when you throw the ball down the field, Pete, how many times do we see it? What, one out of every four deep balls thrown, you're going to get a penalty? You're going to get pass interference? You're going to get a defensive holding? Like, that in of itself, defenses will bail you out. It's human error that is going to happen when you put a guy one-on-one with a receiver who's 6'3 or 6'4 and can jump up 48 inches in the air and grab the ball. Like, you're going to get that. And that then opens up the underneath routes. That opens up t- an opportunity for Kadarius Tony for a little crossing route. Then you can throw it you can drop it off to him and let him get in space because the safeties have to worry about dropping back and not getting beat over the top. When Jason Garrett is running plays that have nobody going down the field, you know everything is in front of you as a defense. It makes a defensive coordinator's life that much easier. That and the fact that yes, they don't utilize Barkley enough in the passing game. Christian McCaffrey has made a living off of getting out into the flat, getting out wide into the slot, setting up in the slot and catching the ball and letting his speed and strength do the work. Like Jason Garrett doesn't even know how to do that. Yeah. The only, I I feel like the only times I see Jones throw the ball to Barkley is on your typical little boring screen. And that's easy to stop if you can detect that early on as a defense, which the Buccaneers did over and over again. I can't tell you how many times I heard Lewis Riddick say yesterday, yeah, Tampa Bay knew exactly what was coming. Yeah, no shit, because it's so predictable Mm -hmm. that the Giants like and and I know we're going off here on a tangent, but I just I got so many thoughts in my head, too, on how bad Jason Garrett is. It's like the most simple thing in the world to create the script on the first drive. The Giants did that. They went right down the field. They get first and 10 from the Tampa Bay 15. And then Jason Garrett must've ran out of his script and said, Oh shit, what do I do now? Yeah. And he, then they he tried his pants uh,
0: consistently in the red zone.
1: They tried, they tried yet again, another just a little dump off Tony, which Tampa Bay I think was running cover two there. They were ready for it. Then he tries a read option on second and 10. And, and I don't know if that was execution on the giants, but it looks like they botched like the read on that. And then Jones was just like with the ball deer in headlights and they had nowhere to go. And then they try another little pass for three, four yards through the air on third on 14 after they fall start. So not once did they even throw the ball to the sticks after they get into the red zone. So, I mean, that's specifically how first and foremost is just throwing the ball down the field. I know it sounds simple, but when it works once or when you get a penalty once, that tells a defense, we can't let that happen again. We have to be ready for that. We can't just sit at at the 10-yard mark, at the first down mark on 1st and 10 and know that the Giants are going to throw it in front of us because they might take a shot down the field. So that's for like literally, you get one deep ball that opens up a defense for like an entire half. That and knowing how to utilize Tony, knowing how to utilize Barkley and getting and spreading the ball around too. Yeah, there was one game. I think it was against the saints where eight different giant receivers caught a pass. I feel like now they have like three different receivers as an option. Um, and it's, it just doesn't work. Just does not work. So yeah. I, that, that's really how I think Daniel Jones can be successful. And again, you gotta, you gotta let Jones use his legs as well. They ran a read option on that first drive where he picked up seven, eight yards. You got to do it a couple more times and you got to take the risk that he, that he might get hurt. It happened once this year. It was a fluke. He put his head the wrong way against the Dallas defender. I mean, look, we see how Kyler Murray has been hurt the last couple of weeks, but still they they're not Cliff Kingsbury's not afraid to run him six, seven times a game. So the Giants can't be afraid to do that either.
0: Do you know who the leading receiver is for the Giants right
1: now? In terms of catches or yards? Uh yards. And N-K- yards, it's gotta be it's gotta be Tony.
0: It is. Isn't that sad yeah. though? It's Kadarius yeah. Tony. And he has hardly gotten going. Like he's only had really one game where he was he, truly successful. And, he and he's missed a couple yards. games. And he's missed a couple games. Well, none you of the know receivers have played all the games because everyone's been hurt.
1: But uh, but still sad. I mean And you know what's sad too is that Andrew Thomas was the only one who scored a touchdown. Yeah, yeah I know.
0: It's really sad. Now, real quick on the Saquon front before we move on, the the prototype for Saquon right now needs to be in that, like you said, McCaffrey ilk, right? But if you even want to talk not McCaffrey, the way the Browns have used Kareem Hunt, like half of his touches at this point in time, until he gets back to like full strength, like full Saquon, if he can even get there again, half of his touches should be on passes, I think, right now. He's more explosive when he gets the ball in open field in that in those scenarios, and we've seen him take some of those flat routes up the sideline and gain, gain some good chunks of yards, right? So I think he has to be really, really utilized in the past game. Like Kamara, like Aaron Jones, like Kareem Hunt, like all those guys where instead of giving him 20 carries every single game because you need to get Saquon 20 touches, let's get him 10 carries, let's get him 8 targets, and let's see what happens with also giving him some rest, right? Like let Devontae Booker run into a shitty offensive line a little bit more. Who cares? So he's not. They're both averaging 3.5 yards a carry. What's the difference? Let's get yep. Saquon in some space and see how if we can get him going until he starts looking a little healthier. But, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I think it's tough to truly predict. I know you did it. I'm not ready to do that, to truly predict a flip of the script here for this offense. I hope it's true. They play the Eagles. Unfortunately, they're running into the Eagles at probably the worst time. This Eagles team's kind of hot. This team's playing good. They're moving the ball on offense, and their defense is playing pretty hard. So, is it a great spot? No, but it's definitely a spot where they can do some things on offense here, and they should Uh, But Daniel Jones really needs to get things going here because if you look at his game log this year versus last year, it looks identical, man. Two games with two touchdowns only this year. You know, a bunch of games with zero touchdowns, a lot of games with one touchdown. And I don't care who's calling plays. I don't care who your weapons are. Quarterbacks in this league need to throw more than nine touchdowns in 10 games. It just can't happen. And granted, there's a million excuses we can make for Daniel Jones. But when are we going to run out of excuses? Maybe never, and maybe we're just going to be stuck with this guy and give him a contract when he's still throwing nine touchdowns in 11 games next year, but it needs to change But for me to feel any sense of confidence because I don't feel that right now.
1: Yeah, and, and again, that's, that's, that's a totally respectable feeling to have because they yeah. have been bad, um, but I, I really, really am confident that somebody who can competently call plays, especially in the red zone, We'll have this offense looking completely different here for the rest of this season. I hope so. Um, I'm telling you, I'm, oh, I, yeah, hope I'm telling you.
0: I hope, we see. I hope hope for some reason we can see each other from our seats so we can point at each other. And yeah, like, no, hey. we're
1: definitely going to, we're definitely going to chat where we're sitting and hey. we're going to link up beforehand and everything like that. So yeah, don't you worry about that? But I mean, look too, like the, the rest of this giant season, They've got some very favorable games. Like they have some ve- a very favorable schedule. I know Philadelphia has been hot. Like that can easily turn on the drop of a dime. Yeah, I mean, facts. prime example. Prime example was how Cincinnati was looking. Then they ran into the Jets. Now, now all of a sudden they were five and four. They maybe got their season back on track against Vegas. Same thing with Vegas. They had a face. They couldn't face all the adversity with all the drama going on off the field and their season has fallen down the toilet. Tennessee was the hottest team in the NFL. Then they just get dominated basically for the first three quarters by the Texans. So things can turn around very quickly um, for the better or for the worse. And in the next, uh, the, for, to finish the season, the Giants play the Eagles, the Dolphins. Then they have two back-to-back tough games against the Chargers and the Cowboys. Then they finish with Eagles, Bears, Washington. Yeah. Easily, I... easily. They could be looking at a Giants team that finishes the year eight and nine. And oh my maybe God. Sque- maybe oh squeak my God. in with this weak NFC.
0: Man, I don't know about all that. That means uh, for that to happen they got to beat the Eagles twice and that's just fact. They have to beat the Eagles twice and then take care of business against Miami, Chicago, Washington. They have to win all of those games or you know, shock the Cowboys and lose to the fucking Eagles once. So you know what I mean? Like that's possible as well. Um, well, yeah. I, all
1: I know is this I'm telling you you, you. we track these next eight games here to finish the season the Giants will average 24 points a game or more
0: we will book it right here 11-23-2021 11:28 20, pm Pat Boyle over 24 points per game for the New York Giants we will keep an eye on it I have one question for you before we move on does Freddie Kitchen always look aggressively hungover and like he consumes nothing but pizza and dip
1: he does Okay. He does. There's definitely Confirm. like if you opened up his. I'm guessing he drives a truck. Like he has to drive a truck. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just, 95, <laughs> 99% sure. You open up his car door and there are just packs of red man uh, lining. Uh, oh, you lining think he's a red man guy. Oh, he's definitely a red man chew. See, he, I, I think, don't think he dips. I, I think, think he's he like cans.
0: a like a cope straight, like a straight dirt, just grimy dip. You know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll York see. Spit. I, I'll try to see if I get any, we can get some insight. Maybe uh, we'll take a close look from our seats. Uh, if he's putting anything in his pockets uh, today or on Sunday, we'll, we'll take a look, but he definitely looks like that. And sometimes that's good for football coach, especially somebody who's not your head coach, right? So there's some reason to believe in optimism with Freddie kitchens. All giants fans who I spoke to today were like, Oh, we get rid of Jason Garrett. Now we got Freddie kitchens. Just remember, there's a reason why he was made a head coach. He had a good run as an OC. I don't know if it was smoke and mirrors. I don't know if it was luck. I doubt it was 100% either of those things. So let's have a little bit of optimism, see what he can do uh, with a revitalized offense here. But Pat, we got some more games to talk about. What do you got?
1: No, I was just going to say, Giants fans, like just, just remember who told you that Freddie Kitchens turned around this season.
0: Patty Boyle, Browns fan, who's seen it happen live. And then we don't want them to fire Joe Judge and make Freddie Kitchens the head coach. We don't want that. We can all agree on that.
1: I would think it's not a matter of Joe judge. It's a matter of if they fire Gettleman, right? If they fire Gettleman, the new GM is going to want a new head coach. Well,
0: they'll probably give judge one year. And then when it's mediocre again, they'll get rid of him, and we'll kick the tire down the road as that's what happens in the NFL seemingly all the time. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about the Thanksgiving games. We got three games on Thanksgiving. As always, we got the lions playing the bears and the Cowboys playing the Raiders. Those are our standard uh, teams that always play lions and Cowboys always thought growing up when I was a kid, I was like, yeah, it's always the Cowboys and you know, the Redskins, now the football team. I always thought it was those two teams playing you know, a Cowboy-Indian type thing, as you heard growing up. It wasn't the case. It was the Lions and the Cowboys for whatever reason. Now we have the Lions playing the Bears. Bears are minus three at Detroit, and the Cowboys are minus seven and a half home against the Raiders. Also, Buffalo minus six at New Orleans. Let's just go down the line here, Pat. Obviously, the second and third game are the more interesting of the three. But let's talk Lions real quick and Bears real quick. Bears couldn't beat a backup in Lamar. They obviously lost fields throughout the game, but he wasn't doing very much. Can the Lions get their first win? I'm just going to ask you that question because this isn't that interesting of a game. Or can they get the first win? And
1: or do you have a betting angle that you like heading into this week? Oh, I mean, this is such a tough game to bet because you're looking at... But my you're going to do it. 1230. You're looking, on. you're looking at my cousin, Tim Boyle. Oh, Boyle rules. <laughs> going up against Andy Dalton on a short week with two well, with one brutal head coach. And that was the big news too. On, on Tuesday, Matt Nagy reportedly was going to be fired after Thanksgiving. He said that was completely false. He met with bears ownership. He might be getting fired in the next two, three weeks anyway. Um, But I, I mean, really, this is, you have no idea what to expect here on Thanksgiving afternoon um, with the lions and the bears, if it's, I mean, I don't think regardless of whether or not it's Jared Goff or Tim Boyle, uh, there is a serious quarterback problem for the Detroit lions. That being said, it seems like this team has been excruciatingly close numerous times already. Like I'm surprised Dan Campbell cried back in week five or whatever that was. Cause he definitely could have saved that for like last week and cried after they tied the Steelers and then they almost beat the Browns. They have almost beat the Ravens this year. They've almost beat a couple of teams that they should not have beat. And still yet they're Oh nine and one. So it just feels like it's a matter of time before a Detroit lions win is coming. And maybe it does come on Thanksgiving day. Um, That being said, you know, I, 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 when i tweeted on sunday like best value spreads my number one was the colts which we're going to talk about but i also said texans plus nine and a half yeah because as in it is inexplicable as it seemed for them to beat the titans like people don't realize you have to check who's playing and who's not playing and more so just the quarterback and the running back like the titans miss were missing three linebackers they're two middles bud dupree they were missing two linemen They were missing, obviously, Derrick Henry and Julio Jones. Like you add up, that's like nine starters out of 22 starters on both sides of the football. So that is always something you have to look at. And when you look at this Bears team going into Thursday, right now, not sure if Allen Robinson is going to play. He missed the game on Sunday. Not sure if Darnell Mooney is going to play. He was their number one target, had a great game. And obviously, Justin Fields looking like he isn't going to play. So it could be Andy Dalton and their third and fourth string receivers, Marquise Goodwin and Demir Bird, who has done absolutely nothing in his NFL career so far. Um, The defense is what's going to carry them, but it's a defense that now has Khalil Mack on the IR, has Danny Trevathan on the IR, has Jeremiah Toshu on the IR. So they are banged up. This is a a Bears team that is banged up and their head coach is on the hot seat is is seemingly weeks, maybe days away from getting fired. So if there's going to be any game that the Lions win, it's it's probably going to be this one. Um, so will I take the three points? I don't know just because I don't know if it is my cousin, you know, my long lost brother, Timmy Boyle playing quarterback. The guy threw for 72 yards Oof. on Sunday, 72. Yeah. I okay. mean, if you bet this game, you have problems.
0: Uh, it's the come on. If it is, if this is a one o'clock game on a <laughs> Sunday, seriously,
1: you're like, dude, I'm betting this game. Shut up.
0: Oh course i'm betting this game it's thanksgiving uh, of course i'm putting something on the line here if it's a one o'clock game on a sunday and you're betting it then call 1-800-GAMBLER but if it's thanksgiving 12 30 nice chill in the air you're having a cup of coffee you got the window open turning on the game before you're heading over to your your, aunt, your uncle's house you know what i mean like come on you gotta throw a little something on there maybe you throw a little uh lion's money line with deandre swift to score a touchdown and T.J. Hawkinson over 40 yards. It sounds like a great bet to me, Pat.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe 10 bucks on a same game parlay. That's what I'm year. saying. I nothing crazy, nothing crazy. I do think there is value on Detroit. I I will say that, especially if Robinson and Mooney don't play. I don't know how much of an upgrade Fields is over Dalton at this point. I mean, he still has he's still working out some things, and if he can't run, if his uh, running is compromised. I think he's kind of rendered worthless. And we saw that Dalton comes in and throws a 70 yard touchdown pass yeah. on his second pass. So I don't think it matters whether it's fields or Dalton. That being said, if they're missing Robinson and Mooney plus all the injuries they already have on the defensive side of the football. I mean, to me, this game is more like a pick'em than, than, than a three point game. So I mean, how, just how the hell on, do
0: they get to over 41 and a half? That's the real question.
1: That is a great question. That is a great question, and that is maybe maybe we see the Patty Boyle teaser coming to play here. Maybe Lions you see
0: plus nine under 49 or 48 and a half. Sign me up. I'm in. I'm booking it right now, Pat. I'm, call 1-800-GAMBLER for me, please.
1: Now, when they see, now you're getting <laughs> me excited here.
0: All right, let's move on to our second game. It's the Cowboys at home versus the Oakland Raiders. The line is seven and a half. The over-under is 50 and a half. Before we talk about Cowboys Raiders, let's quickly talk about Cowboys-Chiefs, not the high-scoring affair that so many uh, predicted. It was a Chiefs cover at minus 2.5 as they won by 10. Uh, but a weird game overall, right? Still had some turnovers on both sides. Dak wasn't sharp, and he's been sharp all year. And it was just kind of, there's no rhythm. There was no flow for either offense throughout the entire game. It was ended up being a defensive type battle, which nobody expected. Uh, so what did you take from that game? Was there a lot that you can really you know, write home about with that chiefs Cowboys matchup, or was it a little bit fluky in your eyes?
1: Uh, No, I mean, I I think it's been the biggest story in the NFL here over the last couple of weeks. And that has been the reinvention of this chiefs defense here in Steve Spagnuolo. And it starts, it starts up front. I I mean, it absolutely starts up front with Chris Jones and Frank Clark, both being healthy on the edge for Kansas city. They have, they, they have one of the best pass rushes now in the NFL, which they had, Nothing when Clark and Jones were hurt kind of interchangeably the first couple of weeks, not even the pass rush. I mean, Pete, ever since I've seen Chris Jones do it for the last couple of weeks. Now I feel like I see every single defensive lineman jumping up to try to swat passes down out of the air, like at an alarming rate. It's almost like we're seeing some edge rushers and, and tackles, not even try to get to the cornerback, just kind of stand there and then jump and put their hands up when the ball is thrown. I'm seeing so many passes batted down at the line of scrimmage. And Chris Jones is one of the best, if not the best in the NFL at doing that. Not not only batting balls down, but batting balls straight up into the air and, and you know, risk for an interception almost every time. So it starts up front with them. Um, and the fact that they've kind of found a way to hide uh, Daniel Sorensen as uh, one of the, the most liable safeties in the entire NFL. <laughs> you know, uh, Juan Thornhill has, has played a lot more because of that. He has been capable. And then, you know, Trevarius Ward and LeJarius Sneed and, and Matthew have been ball hawks the last couple of weeks. Like, they're getting the turnovers. And as a quarterback, when you all of a sudden have to worry about a secondary that can pick you off if you don't make a perfect pass, then you kind of get a little antsy back there. That and the couple with the fact that Spags has, you know, just created some really good game plans the last couple of weeks. And he has taken away the strengths of the opposing offenses. This chief's defense has gone from zero to hero over the last couple of weeks. And that has taken so much pressure off Mahomes and the offense to not have to try to score a touchdown on every drive. Like they're a team that can now settle for field goals. Uh, you know, we talk about the giants settling for field on almost every goddamn drive. The chiefs can and have settled for field goals and they've let the defense do the talking for them. Um, And and not only them, um, you know, when you couple that with the fact that Amari Cooper had COVID and then you have CeeDee Lamb leave the game with a concussion, you take away two of the biggest weapons for the Cowboys and Dak making a really terrible pass in the red zone for the interception at the end of the first half. Uh, It was just another game in which, you know, the Chiefs got it done, not the way you thought, but they they got it done, and they are certainly back.
0: And Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory out for the Cowboys as well. I I, I think maybe one of them. I think Gregory might be closer to return. We'll see how he's looking for Thursday. That'll be big uh, to upset Derek Carr against the Raiders. But, yeah, I agree. And, Pat, I I hate to say it, but uh, I've been kind of here on this podcast for a couple weeks talking about the Chiefs. And it wasn't wasn't all about the Chiefs. It was partially about the Chiefs getting right and regressing to maybe not their – mean that we knew over the past two seasons, but to some sort of mean where they were going to be better. It was also about the AFC in general, just not being very strong. Now the chargers tried to lose that game 10 times. They tried to win it 10 times. They ended up winning finally and, and whatever they didn't cover the spread. I'm mad about it. It is what it is, but the chiefs are now like settled into a playoff spot, not settled, nothing settled in the AFC, but they're looking good. Um, but, There's reason to believe why they're going to make a run. They're going to be there when it matters most. Uh, I saw in that Chargers game, actually, just to talk about that for a second, you were talking about the defensive linemen getting their hands up. It almost seems like with quarterbacks who are specifically athletic, right, like Dak, like Patrick Mahomes, like Justin Herbert, those defensive linemen are making active choices to do that, to hang back and just wait, read the eyes. Oh, you have a lane? No, you don't. I'm up here, right? And that's what we saw against Herbert caused the interception. It was Cam Hayward who did that against him in a crucial moment. And it's really interesting the way the defenses are adapting against these elite arm talent, athletic quarterbacks who like to extend plays who like to get outside the pocket and throw the ball downfield defensive linemen and defenses are in, in general are putting an umbrella over them more and more and making it more difficult for them to find these secondary lanes down the field. And they're making them sit back there and make these decisions from tighter windows and it's going to be interesting to see how it now plays out as weather's getting colder and offenses are getting more desperate if defenses now take an uptick and really start making life lives really hard on offenses because this offensive outburst that we saw from a handful of teams across the board early has not really been going down uh, lately so the cowboys in their last 3 games have two stinkers on offense really right they have one great game against the falcons is there a cause for concern with the Cowboys outside of the injuries, right? Let's say CeeDee Lamb gets back soon, Cooper gets back soon. Is this really the elite offense that we thought we had, or is there reason to believe that they're going to come down to earth and be closer to average?
1: No, I, I think they're still one of the top five offenses in the NFL. I mean, every team is going to go through some lull here in the season. The NFL has more parity than ever. Um, especially on a week to week basis. Uh, one of the big favorites goes down every single week. We saw it on Sunday with the Titans. We saw it last Thursday with the Ravens losing to the dolphins as eight and a half point favorites. We saw it a couple weeks ago with the jets beating the Bengals. It I mean, it's happening almost every week. Um, so when you have as much parity now, even the best teams will go through a two, three week stretch where you say, what, what the hell has happened to this team? We're saying it right now at the same exact time about the Rams. We, are almost saying it about the tit- Titans even though they had one bad game we're like we're whoa, saying whoa, it about whoa. the Buffalo Bills we're saying it about the Buffalo Bills like it seems like four out of the you know four teams who you're expecting to contend for a Super Bowl are all going through that lull right now i think that's just what it is you know i think you know when you when you have so many games week to week without a bye and that extra game means like I, I it really does put i feel like a lot more stress on it that you now have 17 games to play you know, you can go through six, seven, eight, nine weeks. Now some teams still haven't had a buy, and you're going week by week, just grinding through, like it's going to take a toll. And when you get even a couple of injuries, that's going to play a factor. So yeah, I, I'm not worried about Dallas. You know, I, I think I've seen more than enough from them uh, with the offensive line, how strong it is with the weapons they have at the receivers, with the two running back system that they have gotten pretty solid with Elliott and Pollard. Um, In the season that Dak has had, I'm not worried about the Cowboys.
0: Yeah, so they go to uh, not not go to, they go home to play the Raiders. Yeah,
1: what's up? Yeah, I was gonna say that. Being said, I think the Raiders win this game on Thursday. Oh,
0: (laughs) okay. I was just gonna say how it's a possible opportunity for their offense to feel good about themselves after this week because the Raiders have been playing poorly lately. Uh, They're down to five and five. They were uh, a hot team early. All the drama that's gone on with them seems to have caught up with
1: them. They've lost three in a row. Uh, you think the Raiders can win this one? Make your case. Yeah. Well, let me, uh, I think they'll cover, I think they'll cover the seven and a half. I think it's just too much on a short week. Um, Mm. I think that's going up too, by
0: the way, I'm seeing, so I'm seeing on DraftKings minus seven and a half, but I'm seeing on pregame.com, which is a site that I use to just check like odds and tickets versus cash and whatnot. It's at minus nine in some spots. So I think it might be going up by Thursday, Uh, 73% of tickets, 90% of cash on the Cowboys right now, according to pregame.com. So that minus seven and a half, if you like it there, you might want to wait and you might get it closer to minus eight, minus nine come Thanksgiving day.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, it's easy to see why you, why you people would, would back the Cowboys here. They've kind of gone back and forth, bad game against Denver, great game against Atlanta, bad game against the chiefs. You think they're due for the bounce back here. It's at Dallas, right? They're playing at Jerry world. Um, and again, you've seen the dysfunction that the, the Vegas Raiders have put together the last three weeks. Um, if John Gruden wasn't a scumbag and still had his job, um, I think this team would be in a, a much better situation, but I think right now, Rich Bisaccia is, uh, is a little bit in over his head that, and the fact that you've had, uh, Greg Olson, the offensive coordinator only take over the play calling duties since Gruden got fired or, you know, stepped down whatever the hell you want to call. It. He was going to get fired anyway. Um, I just think that, they're kind of treading water right now. That being said, sooner or later a squirrel is gonna find a nut. You know, I don't think the Vegas Raiders aren't gonna go out here and lose six seven, eight games in a row. Um, they, they still have too much talent on the offensive side of the football and I, I think if if they can kind of just be simple here and and create a game plan that allows Carr to have a good balance and run the football with uh with Josh Jacobs, like they're gonna be okay. They're gonna have uh. A lot of success. You mentioned the injuries to Lawrence and Gallimore and um, and everybody else on that defensive uh, line for Dallas. Like they're they're going to have trouble stopping the run if Josh Jacobs gets going. That and then that's going to open up some spots here for Derek Carr. I mean, look, uh, he's still got some great weapons. You know, I know that they've they've obviously lost a couple of receivers here. They still have Hunter Renfro. They still have Darren Waller. Like there's st- they're still pretty dangerous. And I like I, I believe in Derek Carr as a more than competent quarterback um so i i think it's it's just it's too lazy to think oh you know vegas lost three in a row Gruden, all this offseason all this off-field drama they're they're a shit team now no they're they're still a, a very middle of the road football team that can beat you if you're not on your a game
0: yeah and randy gregory's on ir as of uh, november 11th so he's actually going to still be out for thanksgiving i, I didn't realize that yeah. he was still out so yeah he's going to be out that's big so, yeah, it's an interesting spot. Uh, I'm not going to touch it until Thanksgiving Day. We'll see how we feel. But I was kind of leaning towards the Cowboys and a get-right, but, you know, we'll see. Maybe you uh, made me re- rethink that a little bit. So let's talk about our last game here with the Bills and the Saints. Do you want to take your victory lap yet on the Colts, or do you want to wait until uh, the next segment?
1: Up to you. I can take it now. I can take it later.
0: Let's take it now because you can take it later as well. Uh, We can do it twice, right? Let you get a nice long victory lap and maybe go around the bases twice here. Um, Bills-Colts was a heavily bet game, heavily talked about game, despite all the people out there saying the Colts are set up for a big opportunity here with their ability to run the ball and Jonathan Taylor and the Bills haven't been so hot lately. We talked about it last week, Pat. We had the conversation, you and I, and said, hey, I was like, hey, the Bills have not played a hard schedule at all. In fact, they've played a top three easiest schedule in the league. None of their wins are very impressive. Is there reason to believe they're not this strong juggernaut that we think they are? And it proved correct at home where they got run all over by the Indianapolis Colts in the Subway Sports Talk picks. You not only said that you liked them at plus seven, but you liked the Colts money line. Pat, did that have to feel good? You went three and two on the picks, but it almost feels like five and two with that big time money line hit on the Colts.
1: Yeah, it does, Pete, and it feels good when when things happen the way you think they're going to happen and the way they're set up like to happen. Like I, I just I felt like this is a game you see coming a mile away. You know, it's tough too when you're looking at a team. It's easy to discount a team when the only two times I believe this season the Colts have played in primetime football is one blowing a massive lead on Monday night football against the Ravens in which they lost their entire secondary. And then Lamar Jackson went off in the fourth quarter because he's throwing against practice squad cornerbacks. And the other time you see the Colts on primetime football is against the New York Jets where Mike White gets hurt on the second drive, which I called. And then you have Josh Johnson and a historically bad jets defense. So it's easy to see those two games and say, wow, Colts blew the game against the Ravens. And yeah, they, they beat the jets and, and, and might and Josh Johnson, like they're, they stink because most people aren't watching the Colts. You know, they're watching red zone. Like you don't get to see the ins and outs and the fact that this Colts team was banged up early on and they have gotten healthy. The offensive line has both tackles healthy now. The two most important pieces on the offensive line, the tackles, they're both healthy now and they're blocking extremely well. Jonathan Taylor has been an absolute stud. He's an MVP candidate. That is not, I don't care. You want to debate me on that? There's no debate. He's an MVP candidate. I know your tweet got a ton of love with, uh, you know, I'm the captain now. Like it was (laughs) tremendous. I mean, five touchdowns speaks for itself. 204 yards from the line of scrimmage speaks for itself. Carson Wentz has also, like, it's so lazy for people to say, oh, like, yeah, what I remember of Carson Wentz is he stinks. He had one good year. Carson Wentz is taking care of the football. He's not turning the ball over. He understands the, the assignment here. And Frank Reich is a hell of a goddamn football coach. So things are coming together really nicely for the Colts. They've now won five out of their last six games, and the only loss is against the Titans in overtime a couple of weeks ago. They're a good football team.
0: And they could have won. They could have, should have, would have. We could play could have, should have, would have with a million teams and a million games, but they could have won that game, right? And if they do win that game, how differently do we feel about this entire league with the Titans, with the Colts uh, in particular, right? Because the Titans went on this run, and their offense, as we also outlined, we're giving ourselves a lot of pats on the back this week, and I think we deserve it. I I, I said it uh, a a couple weeks ago about Derrick Henry not being efficient running the football. He wasn't even that good in quarters one, two, and three. His yards per carry was not that impressive. So even with Derrick Henry, this offense left a lot to be desired. Without Derrick Henry and without Julio Jones, Ryan Tannehill has really struggled, hasn't looked like the Tannehill from the past two years. Do I want to sit here and say, oh, it's all because of Henry Tannehill sucks? I'm not going to say that either. But right now as a unit, that whole offense is truly struggling. They cannot run the ball. They can't get A.J. Brown open. He got hurt uh, as well during the game on Sunday. So the Titans aren't that special and we play outcomes. It's natural. When a team wins, we are excited and we talk about what that win means and what it's going to mean moving forward. But what really matters sometimes is what happens for, uh, how many minutes are in a football game? 48? No, 60. 60 or 48 is basketball. That's my bad. In, uh, <laughs> in 60 minutes of a football game, sometimes we only talk about the final three minutes. When the first 57 minutes, we're showing us that the Colts are a real football team. The final three, or in that case, it was overtime. The final 10 or whatever it was proved maybe that they just had a bad moment. So they are a legit team. Frank Reich has proven to have gotten better throughout the season for the past couple of years as the head coach of the Colts. They get better as the year goes on and it's proven proven right here again. So let's talk about now the Buffalo bills were on the opposite side of that. They have been, a little bit of fool's gold this year, perhaps. They're now six and four. A team that even just two weeks ago were still the betting favorites to be in the Super Bowl. Josh Allen was still a betting favorite for a uh, for MVP, maybe top three, and he's still up there in the rankings. But his numbers aren't that special. They're six and four. They're not even leading their damn division right now. How worried should the Bills be? And what does it look like to now go up against the Saints, who, granted, the Eagles just ripped apart. Is this an opportunity for them to make us feel better about their outlook, or are you truly worried about this Bills team?
1: I kind of feel um, almost the same for the Bills that I do about the Cowboys. I think it's a midseason lull having them having now lost two of their last three games, with the only win against the uh, the Jets. And I think it's another team too that is slightly banged up, and you know. Like we, it's all easy to talk about Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley and the weapons that they have when things are going well. But again, the offensive line, those are the big guys. They're the ones that move the pile. They're the ones that get protected quarterback. And they're probably going to be without, um, you know, one of the best guards in the NFL and John Feliciano is on IR and the right tackle. Spencer Brown has COVID. He's missed the last two games. So, like, you missed two of your linemen. We saw why Josh Allen was getting his teeth kicked in by Josh Allen from Jacksonville two weeks Mm -hmm. ago. We saw why he was under pressure all day from the Indianapolis Colts who drew up a great defensive scheme. So, uh, again, I think this is a bit of a lull for the Bills. They're my pick to win the Super Bowl this year at the beginning of the season. I still think they have as good of a chance as anybody else in the AFC to get there. And I think, you know, Thursday night, that is a great opportunity for them to then get their season back on track. It's not going to be easy. Uh, The Saints defense is still tremendous, even though they just got torched by the Eagles. Um, But I I think the fact that the Saints offense is just in complete shambles right now with Simeon, not the answer at quarterback. I mean, they just re-signed Taysom Hill to a contract extension that could be worth $95 million. The guy barely evens on the field anymore. And the fact that they have no Kamara and obviously no Thomas for the entire season has just totally threw their offseason, their offensive season in the garbage. Um, So, again, if the Bills play that they can the way they can, they'll get their season back on track with a win on Thursday.
0: Yeah, line open to four and a half, up to six. Money's coming in on the Bills, rightfully so. Probably expected to continue there. I don't know if it'll get to seven. So I feel like I kind of. I'm kind of leaning towards the Bills here, but again, that's going to be a Thursday decision for me. It's not we, we might have to make some official picks for Thursday for funsies for this. For the, for the yeah, social I think media.
1: if if you want to buy into the uh, the get get right game storyline, this is the game to uh, to bet into it on.
0: Yeah, only tough part is it's in New Orleans, right? But you know what the Eagles just did may may prove a lot. Though uh, the Bills haven't been able to run the ball, they might need Josh Allen to really run it a lot to get that run game off the ground. But let's talk about a few more games quickly because we're getting long here. Oh, there's a couple games, Pat, that we want to talk about that are very interesting uh, on Sunday. I know Sunday feels like a long time away, but it is Thanksgiving, so it'll be here before we know it. Now you guys can listen to this podcast Tuesday. I'm sorry, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever you're doing this weekend. We got you covered with some good content to keep you on your drives, keep you uh, entertained. So let's talk about three games here. We're going to talk about the Titans, Patriots. We're going to talk about the. Rams, Packers, and we'll end off with Browns, Ravens. Let's start off with that Patriots game at home. They're playing the Titans. Uh, I talked about this with you last week, how you almost wish the Patriots didn't dominate the Falcons the way they did because then maybe this spread would be a little tighter and it would be a great opportunity to bet the Patriots. Well, guess what, Pat? It's at 6.5 right now. The Patriots are here. They're not to be trifled with at this moment in time. They look like a legit contender in the AFC as well. Uh, first of all, can you believe that the Patriots are where they are? And second, what do you expect for this game on Sunday?
1: With Bill Belichick on the sidelines, Pete, I'm not surprised by anything that the Patriots do um, and the, the amount of success they have and the fact that he has taken Mac Jones and he has turned him into one of the best quarterbacks in the entire NFL Whoa. this season. Whoa! This season, Mac Jones has been a top 10 quarterback as a rookie He's not trying to do too much. I mean, that game against Atlanta, he was dropping dimes in all over the place. He destroyed the Cleveland Browns um, from the first, from the end of the first quarter on. Uh, he just—he's he, not making mistakes. He's not making mistakes. He's Bel- Belichick knows that he's an accurate quarterback, and he's taking shots when needed. But for the most part, he's allowing it to put the ball on the spot for Jacoby Myers and Nelson Aguilar in the two tight end system with Henry and Who Smith, and they're getting great—they're getting great blocking from the offensive line. I mean, look, they went out and they, they got Trent Brown. They got Shaq Mason. They got an Isaiah win. Like all these guys are just playing their ass off and the defense is playing at the best it has all season long. Um, We talked about Matthew Judon; he's been an absolute stud. So I I bet against the Patriots. I had Atlanta to cover um, because I was like, you know what? At at some point when every team that gets hot, there's a selling point and there's going to be a drop-off. There's going to be a letdown game. It happened to the Titans on Sunday. We thought it was going to happen to the Patriots and then have them bounce back against the Titans. And we got the exact opposite. We got the Titans clunker and we got the Patriots keep rolling. Does it continue this week? It's hard to believe. Not so more. So just because again, Tennessee is all of a sudden in shambles now with no, obviously no Derrick Henry, but now Julio Jones, who's on IR, AJ Brown might not play. Um, and then you get a defense too, that, you know, a little bit regression to the meme. They were getting all these turnovers. Now they're not turning the ball over as much. And for a new England team that has taken care of the football extremely well, it's, this is a tough game to forecast. Um, I, it's hard to, it's hard to not see the Patriots continue how hot they've been just because they're doing all the things fundamentally well to win football games. They're, they're not committing penalties. They're not turning the ball over. And when you do that, you're just going to be tough to beat. You're forcing another team to go out and beat you. So,
0: yeah. And, and I mean,
1: it's a, it's a big, it's a pretty big spread for, again, the Tennessee Titans who we were all talking about as being, you know, all of a sudden the favorite in the NFL last week. So I, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. And another thing, like reading the tea leaves of the Titans victories, we we probably could have guessed this was coming. And I think some of us did guess that it was coming. I I, I was afraid to bet the Texans last week, never would have bet their money line. If anyone was like, Oh, I could have bet their money line. Like, you probably weren't going to do that, right? But at 10.5, it was a realistic bet to make. I thought about it, but I was a little scared Scared off, though. But Tyrod's been playing good, so you got to give Tyrod some credit. On the Patriots' front, they're back to Patriots' way in the sense that you don't know which running back is going to pop off now. It was Damian Harris all year. Now Ramondre Stevenson is looking like a real back, and now they have a two-headed monster. Damian Harris, uh, healthier now than he was two weeks ago, and they're hard to stop. Both of those guys are running incredibly hard. And I have both of them in fantasy. Now you don't know who to play. You almost don't want to play either. But you want to play somebody because their attack's been that strong. So I'm with the Patriots. I'm, I'm probably going to end up rolling them out in some way or another. I actually, Pat, would not be shocked if by Sunday this line goes above the seven. And when that happens, they're going to be a big-time teaser consideration uh, for me to get them down below the three.
1: I would agree as well. So we'll
0: see. we'll see what happens there. Let's move on now. Packers and the Rams. Obviously, the Packers coming off a loss, a big one on my Minnesota Vikings, baby. They can't be beat. Even though they weren't one of my five picks, I still bet on them. Uh, spread and money line. They took down the Packers, though. The Packers looked fine. They had some good moments offensively. The Vikings are an offense that took more risks, and it worked out on Sunday. But that was a very tight game. You can't really take too much out of it for the Packers' front. Um, cause they're, you know, they're still kind of getting right after the COVIDs and the injuries and the whatnot, but the Rams at the same time have had a couple weird games in a row. So there's no spread. It's even, it's a pick'em money line either way. This is like an NFC matchup for who's the best, but right now it's really an NFC matchup of who's not falling apart as much, right? So do do you have a read here on Rams at Packers?
1: Yeah, I think this spread is, is perfectly at a, uh, a pick-em. I mean, you know, look, you've got the Rams now coming off of their buy, which uh, I think Sean McVay has proven to a, a lot of us that they are. He's, he's a pretty damn good coach. Um, the fact that, you know, things are kind of tipping in the wrong direction here for the Packers. You got Aaron Rodgers on Pat McAfee's show saying that his toe is not going to get any better and it's worse than turf toe. Um, you know, I'm not sure how much stock you want to buy in that. Uh, but the Packers, uh, obviously showed they were human, um, against Minnesota, which uh, your infatuation with the Vikings. <laughs> I mean, I, it, I mean, it was, it culminated in, in such a great result for you on Sunday. So I, I can't say, <laughs> so I can't say, I don't, I don't see it, but, um, I, I again, you know, we'd love to say, Oh, get right spot or let down spot. Rams coming off two straight losses with the bye that has given them a lot of time to kind of correct a lot of the mistakes they were making for Matt Stafford to correct the, the turnovers that he was committing. And again, for Odell Beckham to kind of get familiarized with this offense. So I would be surprised if the Rams don't make this a very competitive game Um, and I would probably take them to win on the road. Uh, I think this is a spot where the Rams can really kind of show out and get their season back on track and in a in a season of storylines in which we're talking about good teams that started out well, fell off the tracks, and now trying to get back on track. I think this is the spot as well for the Rams on Sunday. So right now,
0: teams after a bye are 7-13 and against the spread. So this year in particular, there's been a lot of talk about, or at least I've heard a lot of talk about, how the new rules don't allow teams to practice the way they normally do during a bye, which you would think is great for rest, but maybe it's not great for being locked in. And it's proven over the course of more than half a season now. 7-13 and and against the spread after a bye. Uh, McVay, for as great as he is, there's a lot of times where I'm kind of frustrated watching Sean McVay. He's supposed to be the poster boy for this new movement of of youth and excitement in football. And he hasn't really been that, in my opinion, last year. Too many times there seems to be tentativeness from his perspective of calling plays. They're settling for field goals when I expect them to not be doing so. When they have Matt Stafford now, you shouldn't be afraid to do these things now that Jared Goff's not the quarterback. So I'm a little concerned there. But of all the teams to play well after a bye, you got to think McVay and the Rams are one of the teams to do so. I mean, you look at... Uh, some of the teams that have lost after a bye, the most shocking being, you know, John Harbaugh. He, he, they didn't cover after their bye this year, but a lot of the other ones make sense. It's the Bears, the Giants, the Seahawks, who have been pretty brutal this entire year. The Raiders didn't cover after the bye. Um, you know, the, the the one that was shocking really the most that didn't cover was probably Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. They've had a, f- a few weird weeks here. The teams that did cover after a bye, Mike Tomlin. That's something you would expect. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys, they covered after their buy. That's something you would expect. They were so hot against the spread, right? So I, I don't know if you want to buy too much into 7-13 and 13 for uh, teams after a buy, but it's something to think about. I think McVay, though, you don't want to just take that trend and bet it blindly uh, with, with Sean McVay and the Rams.
1: No, I mean, look, well, if they cover, they win. It's it's right. Pick right, so right, 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 that, right. That, uh, I, I don't know how much... I mean, that's a, that's a great point you brought up, it is. But I think also the fact that you kind of you know, winning can, winning can, um, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword because you win a couple of games in a row, you have the tendency to kind of rest on your laurels and it masks some of the flaws you have as a team. And the three wins, uh, the, the couple of wins in a row the Rams had going into this now two-game losing streak, Giants, Lions, and Texans. So you play three really bad football teams in a All row. It right. kind of ma- it masks, yeah, it masks your flaws there for a bit. Then they ran into Tennessee and then they ran into a a super hungry team on Monday night football a couple of weeks ago. So you had those two painful losses with the buy, you get McVay two weeks time to prepare for the best defense in the NFL thus far this season in the Packers. And I think you see a complete game plan here for the Rams. Um, I think this is a spot where if you don't, you know, you take a money line, I would even probably take them, you know, minus six and a half. Um, I think that's a great spot with a ton of value. Minus six and a half, it's probably gonna be what plus two fifty odds. Yeah, I think it's a great spot. Where I think it, I think they win this game. They win it by a touchdown or more. Yeah, um, so I might play that.
0: I like it. I, I think I'm leaning the, that same direction as you. Not to just agree with you here, but I'm kind of leaning that way as well. The Aaron Rodgers toe thing is seemingly serious and something to be considered. Uh, but one more game to talk about here because we're gonna we gotta end up sooner or later. Uh, the Browns Ravens is the Sunday night game. Obviously, your Browns disappointed you this past week despite getting the win. It was ugly. They could not score. Baker is clearly banged up. The offensive line is not fully healthy. They are three-and-a-half-point underdogs. The Ravens should have Lamar Jackson in back. He was only sick with non-COVID, so there's no reason to believe he's not back. Um, it's at Baltimore. This is a really, really important game. The Browns are 6-5. and five, The Ravens are 7-3. and three. We know that everything is hanging in the balance when it comes to the AFC across the board. Uh, obviously, that applies to the AFC North as well with the Steelers hanging around. Uh, and the Bengals hanging around too. They're actually 6-4, and four, so they got a game, a half game on the Browns right now. What are you making of this Baker situation? Because it's getting ugly with all the injuries. Do you believe he gives your team the best chance to win at this point in time? And what's the outlook on Sunday?
1: Yeah, I think after such a great year that Kevin Stefanski had winning coach of the year, he has regressed here in year two, he overthinks a lot of things with the offense, I mean there's times where he's, he's thrown on first and second down where you it's okay to be a little predictable when you have Nick Chubb, um, you know, running the football for four and a half yards a carry. Uh, that, but then the fact, again, it's, it's Baker Mayfield right now is not a hundred percent. He's dealing with a torn, torn rotator cuff in the shoulder. He's dealing with ribs injury. He's dealing with a knee injury. He's not a hundred percent. And he made some really bad throws against the Detroit lions. That, and the fact that you had the Odell Beckham saga. Now you got Baker Mayfield's wife tweet uh, putting out an Instagram story that the rest of the team needs to get tougher. Not a good look right now. And, I mean, I I really respect Baker. I love him. I think, um, you know, he is their quarterback for the future. He's been their quarterback since he stepped in as a rookie. But right now, he does not give them the best chance to win. He's obviously limited right now in the things he can do from a physical standpoint. And this is a game where the Browns season is kind of hanging in the balance. And if Baker Mayfield is not 100 percent right now on a week to week basis, you, you you might have to go with Case Keenum. Like you might have to go with case Keenum if they can't win this football game. And if Baker Mayfield puts in another performance where, you know, he's overshooting receivers by 10 yards at times, because he's clearly trying to overcompensate for uh, um, physical limitations right now. Um, They're going to go up against a, a great Baltimore defense. Uh, one that has been susceptible at times this year in throwing the ball because they've had some of those great nickel cornerbacks that have been banged up. Jimmy Smith, um, you know, obviously Peters is out the, the entire season. So, you know, this is, a, again, it's a winnable game. And it's, a, it's Sunday night football. It's prime time. All eyes are going to be on this game. I cannot wait for it. Uh, but I can't tell you that I have a ton of confidence uh, considering the Browns have gotten uh, steamrolled Uh, A couple of weeks ago by New England lost that game to Pittsburgh and they've, they've just been kind of Jekyll and Hyde. Um, You know, this is a game, this is a prove it game for Baker Mayfield to kind of silence all these doubters now that he seems to thrive on. So it's, I saw that Baker Mayfield cycle where it's um, you know, have people doubt you have critics say that you're terrible thrive and say, it's the underdog mentality show out for a game and then go back to playing like shit the next game. And then the cycle repeats. So I wonder where the cycle is going to go on Sunday night. Uh, Because to me, the Browns lose this game, they have a very, very small chance of making the playoffs, which I did not think was even going to be a possibility this year.
0: Yeah, just a few weeks back, we're talking about them being a Super Bowl contender, perhaps, right? Maybe not a few weeks back, a couple more than a few. But that was a legit conversation that we were having, and we were considering them as a top-tier team in the AFC. And now the AFC's flipped on its head. It's very, very weird. On the Baltimore Ravens front, Lamar will be back. Obviously, with Lamar in that game on Sunday against the Bears, you expect them to win bigger than they did. Hundley did, you know, a stand-up job in competing and giving them a chance to win. Clearly did just enough to do so, Um, but it was ugly for the Ravens. And it's been a little bit weird. Talk about Jekyll and Hyde. It's been the same thing for the Ravens this year. Probably a little bit... who's, Who's good, Jekyll or Hyde?
1: Jekyll's a good one, I think. So
0: a little more Jekyll than Hyde, perhaps, for the Ravens, right? But they're still kind of figuring out how to be consistent this season. Lamar missing a game hurts him. Um, You talked about Jonathan Taylor as an MVP candidate, which is absolutely factual. Lamar Jackson, in my opinion, still an MVP candidate. This is one of those games where he can really boost his odds in that regard. He's currently plus 1,400 on DraftKings, which is just slightly below his preseason odds. So I, I don't really know what to make from this team. They frustrate me with their inconsistency on offense but Devonta Freeman seemingly taking control of that running back position for them this year don't know if that's good or bad I do expect Lamar bringing some energy back to this team and I don't know if we can put much stock on the other side in their defense playing well this past week because they were going up against a Bears offense that's been
1: not very good yeah, uh, I mean, this is another game, too, where like my my Browns fandom in me thinks that the Browns are going to show up and, and and put together a great performance and probably cover the three and a half and probably and probably win the game. But that's my brown my Browns fandom in me. That's a little bit of bias. So I have bias going into this Sunday night game, which is never good from a betting standpoint. So I it's going to take a lot in me to not bet the Browns here on Sunday night football. Uh, but I mean, Depends again, how what the rest seen, of Sunday goes, right? Yeah, exactly yeah no, what I what I've seen from them the last couple of weeks it's not it doesn't look good right now
0: yeah yeah I'm with you so I'm excited for that game I I'm the same way with you with the Browns with the Ravens I don't like to bet against them just because uh, I like to root for them they're Lamar Jackson is one of my favorite players if not my favorite player to watch in this league right now so I'd like to root for them I did bet against them with the Vikings two weeks ago It worked out in my favor uh but I I don't know I, I'm leaning towards going with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson here but Again, that's probably going to be a Sunday night. Let's see how Sunday afternoon went first. Uh, But, Pat, it's late. we got to finish up. Let's do one, one regret or hate, self-hate item from Sunday. We're not going to go through the whole slate of all of our picks, but let's just give one to the people who are still hanging out here after an hour and a half uh, of listening to us talk. You already went with your Colts pick? I'll give you – you don't even need to say because it's not a regret or a hate, but I'll just hit the button anyway on saying that the Colts will cover seven and win outright, so you hit that one. Give me one other pick that you either regret or you hate yourself for. I'm sorry, you don't regret or hate yourself for.
1: Oh, that I don't regret. Okay. Um, either one.
0: Re- regret or don't regret. I just jumbled the words. It's late.
1: He, yeah, no, real quick. I, I don't regret uh, the the three-team teaser. I mean, I said it in my picks. You always, Yeah, you always say, you're like, dude, how can it lose? And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it... I, I held on with the Cowboys. I had them, what was it, plus 11 and a half. They lost by 10. That was the closest one that I had to sweat out out of all of them. Um, I guess, the well, the Chargers, too. What, I had them, what, plus eleven and
0: a half? 11 and a half? No, 10 and a half.
1: Plus three? No, it was Oh, yeah, plus, plus three and, plus and a half, plus three and a half. Yeah, so that almost, that almost ended up losing. Um, I guess it wasn't in too much jeopardy. They never really were trailing by more than a field goal, but – Still, for them to blow that game. I know you were a Chargers better. Uh, the other one, I guess, is, the, is betting against the Eagles two weeks in a row and, and getting just my teeth and, and the Broncos and the Saints' teeth kicked in in back-to-back weeks. This, this Eagles defense has played at an absurd level the last couple of weeks, and Nick Siriani as much of an idiot as he sounds at times this year has seemingly figured out a great game plan where they're just going to run the ball between miles Sanders and Boston Scott and Jalen hurts and Jordan Howard. The, the four of them are going to run the ball 50 times a game. And they, they did it for 230 yards against the saints defense back on Sunday. So if they keep that game plan up, they're going to be tough to stop. Uh, but I, I still, I hate the Eagles. I hate <laughs> betting against them. I hate when I've bet them this year and they've gotten their asses kicked. So I guess I have to hate myself and and regret every time I bet on a game involving Philadelphia because I usually get it wrong.
0: I hate myself. I'm right with you with the Eagles, man.
1: I bet I, and I'm, I I
0: hit it again. I hate myself. I said on the pod I'm not betting on the Eagles this week or against the Eagles this week. And what did I do? I put the Saints in a teaser. I was like, ah, that doesn't really count. It's a teaser. Uh, the Saints are going to cover. They're going to keep it close. Plus nine and a half or whatever the hell I had them at eight and a half. I forget and and they freaking got smoked like what the hell is going on jalen the only positive for me with the eagles is that jalen hurts is my fantasy quarterback in my two most successful leagues this year so that regard i like the eagles and i like him to do well plus i have devonta smith in one league so that's my only positive with the eagles right now other than that they are infuriating to try to predict so i'm with you on that front uh my my other one that i'm going to talk about you mentioned it already is the chargers i'm going to hit both cuz i made the right pick but boy ah. hate myself because they were just brutal to watch on Sunday night football I just hated watching that fourth quarter they were up 17 at one point they tried every single possible way to let the Steelers win they tried every possible way to make it uh, a game again and for them to come back and get the win it was so freaking annoying to watch that game Brandon Staley was like the talk of the town after the first couple weeks at this point in time He needs to get a lot of things right because it's ugly for him in a couple different ways. The offense is so damn talented, yet they only choose to unleash the offense on a handful of occasions. You got to let Justin Herbert be elite. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't handcuff him. Make him be the quarterback we all see and all watch with our own eyes more often because it's electric when he does so. So I'm just sick of that type of game where I should have won that bet. And uh, I made the right pick because the Chargers outplayed the Steelers by a million. They should have won that game hand over fist. Is that the the phrase? Hand over fist? Yeah, I think so. Something yeah. like that. You know what I'm trying to say. So I'm pissed. I made the right pick, but I still hate myself anyway. That's it. That's all I got. Subway Sports Talk. Pat, you got anything else to say?
1: No. I mean, I love it. We always like, yeah, let's uh, you know, let's be compact, let's be Jesus succinct, Christ. and then we we run up another hour and forty minute episode. But dude, I mean, I love it. I love when we chop it up together. I think we cover. You know, so many angles, you know, we're obviously we're, we're so we're pouring through everything. We're invested in, in, watching every single Sunday and breaking it down. I, I just, it's infectious when we get going and we start, you know, hitting off one another, A little pick and roll, Patty, Patty and Pete. Oh, I agree, man. It's too fun. It's
0: just tough. Cause every single time I said it to you tonight, Hey, you know, we're going to run through some of this stuff quick. We're going to keep it about an hour, 10 hour, 15. Look at us now, hour 40 looking like schmucks, but what are you going to do? We had a good time. Hopefully you did too. Right here on subway sports talk. Don't forget, we're part of the Basketball Podcast Network now, so check them out. A whole lot of basketball content uh, on their page. Literally podcasts podcast for every single team across the league. It's a beautiful thing. Happy to be a part of it. And DraftKings, shout out to them as well. So, for Pat Boyle, I'm Pete Kennedy. Subway Sports Talk, y'all. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy some pie. Enjoy some booze. Enjoy some football. It's a beautiful thing. Cheers. Gobble, gobble.